Good morning. I'm Jay Barrett, and it's time for the coffee table. First, let me remind you that support comes from Pier 1 Theater, Homer's community theater, supporting community voices. Schedules and information on Pier 1 Productions at 907-226-2287 and pier1theater.org. This week we have a pre-recorded coffee table all about map of the Southern Kenai Peninsula. Later in the hour, we'll hear presentations from a dozen associated organizations that were recorded for MAP's December meeting, which was held online. But first, we'll begin with an interview I had yesterday with Hannah Gustafson, the MAP facilitator. What is the the background history of uh, MAP? I I guess I don't really know much about uh, it uh, as an organization or, uh, you know, as a a coalition. Maybe you can talk about uh, uh, from whence it sprang. Great. Yes. So MAP has been active here in Homer and engaged on the Southern Kenai Peninsula since 2008. That was when a group of folks led by a community health nurse, um, Sharon Whitehall, at that time, got together and completed our first community health needs assessment. And so this process actually comes from a organization, nationwide organization. It's a model for assessing where a community's at, and it has a few different components that they measure and look at, and this is a a process we've been going through here since 2008, every four years. So our most recent community health needs assessment was published in summer of 2020, and we're gearing up to do another one here, another new cycle, probably starting in this next year. Oh, wow. Um, What kind of questions, uh, what does the survey ask and what does it tell you? So the survey looks at everything from demographics of the region to um, local public health assessments. There's 10 different areas um, in the public health realm that are analyzed. Looks at community themes and strengths. And I have actually not been a part of a full assessment since I've been in the MAP coordinator position. So I'm really looking forward to participating in this upcoming assessment. And so themes and strengths, forces of change, health status are the various aspects that are measured through this process. And this is done nationwide, right? It is, yeah. This community health needs assessment is is a common public health process. Oh. Now, are the um, results compiled nationwide, or are they uh, uh, mostly of use locally? They're used locally. So any community that's participating in this process goes through the data collection um, themselves and then produces their resulting report, and then as a community can look at those results and decide what areas they want to take action on and where they want to focus efforts to improve the health of their community. Oh, now is it uh, is MAP um, chartered by by anyone like the city or the borough or the KPED or anything, or is it a uh, just a nonprofit? Not just, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's actually it's not its own nonprofit or independent 501c3. That was a decision that was made many years ago by the, the steering committee and the leadership involved in MAP. And so it's, it's a coalition. So it's just an organization of, or a group of organizations within our community. Um, we're led by a steering committee of various different organizations. We actually have 11 steering committee members. 
And because we're a coalition and not an independent 501c3, um, we have a fiscal sponsor. So historically for MAPS, the fiscal sponsor has been South Peninsula Hospital. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, does this uh, structure uh, allow you to be more flexible in, in uh, uh, the work of MAP? Or is it was, I guess I'm just trying to uh, figure out why it's not a 501c3. Is it there an advantage? Yeah. Well, I think the beauty of coalition work is that it takes everybody, right? And the the power of community work is that all voices need to be at the table. And so um, there's no, you know, when you're addressing something like, say, for example, substance misuse in a community, um, there's no one organization that's going to be able to solve that complex community issue. And so the coalition structure allows for a variety of organizations and community members and folks concerned about whatever the issue at hand is to come together um, and work together from their various perspectives and backgrounds, all bringing different resources and skills and stories and insights to the table. When the groups get together, your steering committee uh, gets together, um, what, uh, what is that like? Are you looking at big picture items around uh, the area or are you looking at specifics, uh, you know, from each individual group about what their uh, plan would hope to be and how that uh, fits into the, uh, uh, you know, the, the big picture of the group? So the steering committee is kind of at the 30,000 foot level. You know, they're really looking at the big picture of community health. And so um, an example of the benefit of this structure and having this entity within our community, for example, um, if there's a, a grant opportunity or a program coming up that would benefit our community, you know, as a whole, we can look at it and say, based on this funding opportunity and what it would accomplish in our community, this is the this is the organization that would be the best fit. Um, so it's really a, a a collaboration that results in abundance, I guess I would say, of bringing, um, for example, new funding and grant opportunities into the community, as opposed to a one of scarcity where. I think an old paradigm in nonprofit organizations is that there, you know, was limited resources available, and so you know, organizations might get into a, a turf war over, you know, who's getting what funding. And so, rather than you know, coming from an individual organization perspective, when you're considering the community as a whole, you're able to be, I think, a lot more strategic and effective in um, taking advantage of of grant opportunities and bringing new support and resources into the community. Mm -hmm. How many how many uh, member organizations or participating organizations uh, do you have? So the steering committee is made up of eleven different organizations here in our community, um, but MAP as a whole is a community effort, right? So we're we're led by the steering committee, but anyone and everyone um, in our community has the opportunity to to be a participant in MAP and you know, be involved in, in the projects we're working on and stay up to date on the great things happening in our community. And so we have a community listserv. We send out a newsletter once once a month, and that's about 700 people here locally. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I get that. I love it. Um, Good. <laughs> we, we try to make it useful and, and to, um, helpful and timely with applicable applicable and resource 
focused information for, for individuals and agencies within the community. So if folks are interested in, in receiving that MAP newsletter, they can go to the MAP website, which is mapofskp.net, and there's an opportunity there to subscribe to that monthly update. Also, MAP has two P's in it, right? M-A-P-P, yep. Yeah. Uh, is that a is that a common name for all these groups across the nation? M A P P. They're all maps. Um, well, that name came from this model that we um, employed when we did our first community health needs assessment, and it's just since then been the name of the coalition. But you know, across Alaska, there are a variety of health and wellness coalitions in communities, um, part of a, a statewide network, the Alaska Wellness Coalition. And a lot of, um, they have different names in different, in, different, in different organizations. I'm sorry. They have different names in different communities. But who's a part of, uh, of MAP? What kind of organization are you looking for? Who can become part of the, uh, the coalition? So the steering committee represents different sectors of our community. Um, and we also look at things through an eight, a lens of the eight dimensions of wellness and we, we strive to have a good cross-section of, of sectors and all eight dimensions of wellness involved at the steering committee level. So um, it's everyone from Homer Public Health to Homer United Methodist Church to the Nell Street Arts Center. So really working to bring a variety of perspectives and also engage a variety of organizations that are really invested in community improvement, and working together as a community to solve some of these complex problems we face. Mm-hmm. Uh, what role does, uh, let's say I've got a, I got a nonprofit over here, and uh, I'm considering joining MAP or, you know, signing up, being a part of the coalition. What, 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 how does that benefit uh, me and my organization? I think for organizations that are community-minded and working on community issues, it is a great resource for having a good understanding of what's happening in the community, what other organizations are working towards, and helping to align those efforts so that as a community, if we're tackling something, we're not duplicating efforts, we're, we're working together really intentionally and with the ability to, to bring, you know, the folks with the right resources and or skills to fill the right holes. So it's a lot of communication, it's a lot of relationship building, um, you know, relationships are, are the heart and soul of the work that we do, and working together is, is how we get these things done. So, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit of something about uh, some of the organizations, some of the more unique uh, organizations involved with MAP. Well, I'm super excited that the Benel Streets Art Center is a recent addition to the MAP Steering Committee, uh, because historically we when we started really focused on community health needs assessment, there was heavy representation of kind of health organizations within the community. But as we've grown as an organization and expanded our definition of health to encompass these eight dimensions, um, being able to have a art and culture organization at the table and participating is really exciting. And I think, really powerful. So um, the eight dimensions, if you want me to name them for you, just outside of kind of physical health, and you think of blood pressure and BMI, um, we really look at a more holistic view of health and wellness. So we have cultural wellness, we have economic wellness, 
um, emotional wellness, environmental wellness, intellectual wellness, physical wellness, social wellness, and spiritual wellness. So those are the eight. And, you know, when you look at a, an individual or a family or a community, it really takes energy and effort and all those variety of ways to have a well-rounded experience, you know, life, organization. You can't, you can't really neglect one, and they're all pretty interconnected. So, mm-hmm. How often does your steering committee uh, meet and go over the, the issues uh, of the day here in, here in the area? So our schedule is meeting twice a month. We meet on the first and third Wednesdays, and that's kind of been the rhythm of convening since I've been engaged as the coordinator. There were actually two, two coordinators prior to me. And um, at the beginning of the pandemic, though, just because as a community, we were facing a, a new and kind of scary health, health situation, um, I was convening those groups and those folks once a week just so we could all stay in touch on how folks were responding and adapting operations and really working together as a community to face this unprecedented health crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a good good point for me to ask. Uh, you know, being, you know, the uh, people who survey community health, uh, uh, what's the survey say about how we're, how we're doing with COVID? You know, that is a really important question. And we, as I mentioned, had just completed our most recent community health needs assessment summer of 2020. So it was right, like the data had already been collected and it was just being published right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we've acknowledged that that data and that input from our community is not really still true and probably representative of the experiences and the health of our community. And so um, we're actually planning to do kind of a, a mid, a mid, you know, typically these are done every four years and we're going to do a midpoint check-in with the community just so we can really have some local and current data to really check in on those dimensions of wellness and really see and work to paint a picture of how our community is doing in this time. Oh, is that coming up uh, this summer then or this spring? Well, we are just getting ready to, to launch that process. Actually, the timeline for it is going to be on our steering committee agenda tomorrow afternoon. So it's all very new. Um, we identified it as a priority in our most recent strategic planning session and then some funding um, became available to help make that happen and so we are just getting that ball rolling but I would anticipate seeing that roll out here spring into summer here in the community. Mm -hmm. Does uh, your steering committee have uh, uh, you know like a board structure even though it's not a nonprofit? do you have a president or chair or do you facilitate uh, uh, those things yourself? So I act as the facilitator for the most part as coordinator. We do annually have a steering committee member that kind of steps in as, as I'm not even sure exactly we call it. I think I want to say lead, but we don't have a board structure because coalitions and boards of directors are very different. Um, but we do have, you know, annually a member that kind of acts as my, my main point person to help me identify the agenda for the meetings. And, you know, in my absence, they can step in to facilitate but I do try to be there for all the meetings. Um, but I do typically have at least one person on the steering committee that acts as that lead point person. And we do, um, you know, we're, we're, we work based on consensus. So, um, you know, if we've got something we're considering or discussing, we just, we just discuss it and talk about it till we get to a decision and a direction that everyone feels comfortable with. So it's a lot of 
communication and kind of, yeah, working through things and talking them out until folks feel confident and all good and moving to, together in, a, in one certain direction or another. Are your meetings um, open to the public? You know, historically, um, they always were because we would meet in person at the college. Um, I don't think a lot of folks ever popped in very much, but um, they were available in that in that setting when we were meeting in person back in the day of, of convening in person. But we have been virtual and on Zoom since the beginning of the pandemic. So from that perspective, yeah, I guess we haven't really had an avenue for folks to pop in if they were interested. Mm-hmm. If people uh, uh, want more information Uh, How would they go about learning about MAP? Yeah, you know, you can go to our website. It has a lot of information on it. I hate to say it's not as current as it could be. Um, Facebook, we keep more current with, uh, you know, applicable community updates and events and happenings. Um, But really just reaching out to me, it's an open door policy, you know, give me a call or drop me an email um, I'm happy to, to connect with folks and answer questions at any time and, and help them understand more exactly who we are and what we're doing. I know because it is a, it is a, it's, it's a different, you know, coalitions are different than nonprofits and that's the model that folks are most often used to. And so, and then, you know, the, the exactly the, the who and the what and the how of MAP is, can be hard to understand. And so, you know, oftentimes, when new steering committee members come to the table or even myself as a new coordinator, it took a while to really have a good understanding of, of the history and how things work and how we work together and how we're able to do the good things that we do. So there's a steep learning curve. Um, we've recently identified a, an onboarding process for new steering committee members working to, to lessen that learning curve and um, just yeah, help folks have a better understanding I would say, yeah, email me at mapofskp, M-A-P-P-O-F-S-K-P at gmail.com if folks are interested in learning more or setting up a time to chat or have any questions. I'm always happy to answer. Cool. Well, we have, uh, we're going to air now the uh, pitches, I guess, from MAP member organizations, representatives from them. Tell us a little bit about the event uh, back in December. Uh, it, it was on Zoom, and you had uh, a It's like a dozen, I think, uh, MAP members talking about their organization. Could you tell us about that event? Yeah. So we had a fabulous community meeting on December 17th. It was an hour and a half, and we really were – it was the first community meeting we'd had in a while. You know, we historically would have our community meetings a half day, and they were always a great time for networking and learning about what one another was working on and, you know, kind of – planning and visioning together as a community of, of things we were going to work on. And since we haven't had those community meetings, for me, I'm a, I'm a community organizer. I love bringing people together and tackling things as a group. It's been a challenge not to have that in-person time. And so we were waiting and waiting and waiting until we felt comfortable bringing a large group back together in person. And then we just realized as the COVID pandemic kind of ebbed and flowed and We'd start to feel comfortable and the numbers would start going up again. We said, you know what, we're just going to do this remotely. And so historically, our December meeting was always a celebration of community collaborations. So it's not necessarily member organizations because beyond the steering committee, we don't really have a membership structure for organizations. But historically, the December meeting was an opportunity for community collaborations to be celebrated and honored and heard about. And so 
what we did this year is we just identified some collaborations we were aware of that had been occurring over the last year and a half to two years during the pandemic that, you know, regardless of the challenges the folks were facing, um, people still came together and worked together to really accomplish some great things to the benefit of our community. So we identified a dozen of those and we took a moment to pre-record updates from all of those projects because we really wanted to keep our Zoom meeting short and honor honor the time that we set aside for it. So by pre-recording them, we were able to, to stay on schedule with our agenda and put together some great highlights of a dozen different great things that have occurred here over the last couple of years. All right, and we're gonna play those starting now. My name is Red. I am a member of the Resilience Coalition, and I'm coming here today to welcome you to join our movement towards building a more resilient community. We are the Southern Kenai Peninsula Resilience Coalition. And below is a land acknowledgement that we use every meeting when we come together to recognize the land in which we live. Just for us as a coalition, it's just a reminder to the community of those who came before us and those who are still here stewarding the land. We are made of a large group of committed community members, organizational leads, parents, caregivers, youth and advocates who all support a more resilient community. We come together with acknowledgement of all that we bring to the table, our capacity, and how we can grow and change together. And here are just some agreements that we use to guide how we are. We come together and we support the community in many different ways. And we welcome any of you to join us in any aspect that feels right to you. You can also find us on Facebook. You can check out our website. You can come to a History and Hope training. We look forward to seeing you. Why we do it is so that we can build resilience through these eight dimensions of wellness for the family and youth in our area. During COVID, we had to adapt to no longer being able to serve our families in person. And we wanted to still let the community and each other know that we were connected. So we met over Zoom, we started a messaging campaign, we supported families financially through organizations, and we really focused on how we can strengthen the coalition to be a more sustainable group into the future. Here is just some messaging that you may have seen during our messages of hope during COVID. These are some community care packages. And over here is Hannah, May, and Ella, some of our resilience champions. We did some outreach. And this is us at the Safe and Healthy Kids Fair in 2021. We invite all of you to join us in any way, shape, or form that you can, because we have learned as a coalition so much about trauma and healing through our coming together. I'm Greg Abood. I'm a member of the MAP Coalition Steering Committee. I'm here to talk to you about the Kenai Homelessness Coalition today. The coalition has representations from those all over the peninsula uh, that may encounter homelessness or want to work for a solution. The coalition is particularly pertinent to the mission of MAP, where the issue of housing has been identified as a priority on the community needs health assessment. Secure housing can form the basis for emotional and physical wellness, while homelessness is indicative of a struggle for economic wellness. Our strategic planning efforts have been funded through the Bridges Community Resource Network with the Health of Rasmussen Foundation. 
coalition is in the preliminary stages of analyzing data. In 2019, we found out nearly 900 people have experienced homelessness in the Kenai Peninsula. The reasons for homelessness might not be the ones you imagine. Some people may be one incident away from possibly experiencing homelessness, and it can literally happen overnight. If you'd like to get involved, our coalition has found five areas in which you may participate. Uh, we need help uh, collecting and analyzing data uh, so that we can give the most pertinent services uh, to those experiencing homelessness. Our housing and facilities uh, needs help supporting the built for zero approach to end homelessness on the Kenai Peninsula. We're looking for education and awareness opportunities to help in the stigma associated with those experiencing homelessness and to get the larger community involved. And transportation is essential in a very large uh, Kenai Peninsula where delivering services is quite a challenge. And finally, we wish to you know, implement a strategic plan. We wish to forward an aligned and coordinated approach that ensures transparency and accounts for implementation of a strategic plan. Momentum is moving forward. So far, a short-term and cold weather shelter in Nikiski is getting ready to provide services. We need assistance, ideas, and support to make a plan on Homer to help our homeless. With the widespread use of video conferencing, it is easier than ever to participate in a coalition effort. Please visit our website and sign up for our mailing lists and find ways to become involved. While COVID has been particularly challenging for us all, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share this with you wherever you are and, and make you aware of the challenges we have and invite you to participate in our solution. Hello, my name is Saskia Esslinger and I am the founder of the Homer Seed Library. So the Seed Library was started just this past year with um, a couple of grants to help us buy the initial seeds and envelopes. All of the seeds were repackaged into smaller envelopes with tags on them. 3,700 seed packets were delivered in 2021. The Seed Library is a living library, a living collection of seeds where people borrow seeds from the seed library, they grow them out in their gardens, and then they return them to the library. Each time you save the seeds from one thing, you get way more than you can use. So it makes sense to do this as a community project. So each of these drawers is filled with lots of different varieties of edible food, but also herbs and medicines and some flowers. We also have over 120 members of the seed library. It's free to become a member. You just need to sign up um, in the binder on the table at the Seed Library, which is located in the foyer of the Homer Public Library. And also on that table is a place for people to put their seed donations and a form to fill out to give us a little bit more information about those seeds. We've received some amazing seed contribution. Seed saving is a different skill, a little bit different than gardening. And there is a learning curve here of how to harvest them at the right time, how to get them pollinated correctly, and then processing those seeds. We also have a seed sieve for people to borrow. We also got a grant from the Homer Foundation to hold 10 free workshops this spring, um, mostly about seed saving, but also about gardening in general so that we uh, help people have very successful gardens. I had over 40 volunteers um, help me with packaging seeds. It's something that all ages can be involved in. 
If you'd like to get involved, you can go to teachgardening.com slash Homer Seed Library to find more information. One of the great things about COVID is that it really helped people become more aware of where their food was coming from. When we went to the grocery stores and saw that the, the shelves were empty, um, a lot of people were a little bit freaked out. I really recommend that people check out gardening. It, it really addresses all of the dimensions of wellness from the spiritual dimension to the very physical dimension of getting exercise and eating healthy food. It is one of the most powerful things that you can do to take um, control of your health and to feel like you're doing something positive um, for the environment and for the community. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Debbie Tobin. I'm the biology professor at the Kachemak Bay campus of University of Alaska Anchorage, Kenai Peninsula College. I run the Semester by the Bay program, which brings in many students from outside Alaska to our community. So Semester by the Bay engages students in a variety of ways throughout our community, many of which overlap with the um, health concerns in our region. And we do many different studies, both locally and in the uh, Seward area and in Kenai, uh, looking for health of <clears throat> sea otters and beluga whales to help monitor the ecosystems. A lot of live animal observations in terms of whale um, catalog ID, humpback whales and killer whales in particular. Here's some beluga monitoring uh, up in Turnagain Arm and even some work uh, with banded owls at times, which is awfully fun. But lots of water quality testing too. You can see the students here in the boat uh, working um, with some water quality tests. And so we really do try to, as much as possible, monitor the health of the bay and um, engage the students in the community in just a variety of contexts. And in the fall semester, we actually offer classes that are almost all marine biology and marine mammal biology related. So we uh, articulate marine mammals that wash up on area beaches and um, do necropsies on them and work with the veterinary pathologist. And then we help to try and collect samples for them so they can determine cause of death, which again leads to a better overall picture with regard to the health of our ecosystem here. We have some new internships actually with the city of Homer uh, for Parks and Rec, but we involve ourselves and the students with the Center for Alaskan Coastal Studies, ADFNG, NOAA, KBNER, um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge, Kachemak Heritage Land Trust, uh, Homer Soil and Water Conservation District. During COVID times, we were able to really engage them with many researchers around the country, uh, but especially even around the state of Alaska, because we relied on Zoom for many of our guest presentations. So we were able to get people from Juneau, for example, um, or remote areas of Alaska, including many indigenous um, communities to tell us about the um, cultural significance of, say, traditional ecological knowledge and how that applies to uh, some of the courses that we engage the students in, like uh, behavioral ecology of marine mammals, for example. We are offering uh, opportunities to international students as well now. So hopefully <clears throat> we across the board, across our community, uh, not just for Semester by the Bay, but for our biology and our natural science majors and our allied health majors, hopefully we're all able to engage in a variety of platforms and um, continue to see uh, well-developed, healthy, educated 
uh, local community. You're listening to a pre-recorded coffee table about map of the southern Kenai Peninsula. We'll be back in just a minute with more presentations from associated organizations. I am Hannah Young with uh, Kachemak City Park Improvement Project. We are a group of local council members, community parents, pickleballers, grandparents, business owners, lots of people in the neighborhood that have come together to expand our Kachemak City playground space. Um, this is our a couple of our task force members, Bill, Connie, and Perk. And we are there receiving a check from Homer Foundation, which we received a grant for $20,000 that really helped um, grow our fund. Um, we're going to put in a soccer field. We have a pump track put in. There's a sledding hill, a trail. Our playground is going to be expanded with new equipment. We're adding a basketball court and some fire pits. Um, we meet every month and we spent a lot of time with a large fundraiser at the beginning of the summer. We've gone door to door asking for donations or to businesses as well as several large grants. We had a lot of time put into this pump track from the youth in the community as well, which gave them a lot of ownership. And we meet the second Monday of each month 
and anyone is welcome to join us at those meetings. We meet at Kachemak City right next to the park. Uh, this project started just in May. I think with COVID and everything, a lot of families have been wanting to spend more and more time outside. And um, we noticed our fence was really falling apart. And so the community really came together to try and fix those things. And the project only expanded into um, adding pump tracks and sledding hills and expanding the playground. And in the spring, this is a mock-up of our playground that will be put in. Um, we have fire pits that will go in after our grass seed is put in and our trail will go all the way through the property. So we have a lot of things coming in the spring that we're really looking forward to. Hello, I'm Patrice Krant, and I am the coordinator for the Homer chapter of 100 Women Who Care. So here in Homer, our group meets four times a year for one hour. And in that hour, three members chosen at random before the meeting make five minute presentations on behalf of the charities of their choice. After the presentations, we have Q&A for few minutes and then everyone votes and the organization that gets the most votes gets our donation well right now we have 152 members um, so that's about fifteen thousand dollars every quarter that we donate to a deserving organization and since we started in march of 2018 we have contributed hundred and sixty thousand dollars to organizations in the in the homer area we're very proud of that some of the organizations that we've given to include the Homer Flex School. We help them create summer internships for their garden. The Kenai Peninsula Orchestra uh, was able to grow their uh, children's program. The food pantry we've donated to a couple of times, but the one I'm thinking of is the um, Food for Kids program, where kids can get a backpack full of food uh, to take home for the weekend if they need it. The Friends of Kachemak Bay State Park were able to get some EMT wilderness training uh, and also do some trail maintenance with our donation. Haven House bought four more bunk beds, a basketball hoop, and some playground equipment for the children affected by domestic violence. Homer Animal Friends was able to add to their fund for spaying and neutering animals. Hospice purchase a number of pieces of equipment, including wheelchairs, that can be lent out to the community. Sprout, because of our donation, was able to fund 330 families uh, in the Homer area. And these children and these families receive one book a month for the first 60 months of life. And then our most recent donation went to the Homer Soil and Water Conservation District we help them to renovate and move from their tiny little squished office uh, up to the Blackberry building where they have lots of room for all of their people and their work. No money goes to 100 Women Who Care. Everything's volunteer. Um, even the, uh, the occasional uh, reminder notices that have to be sent out, <laughs> all done with, volu with volunteers. And we don't typically give to national charities unless um, the money can get, we guarantee the money can be kept locally here in Homer. If you would like to join 100 Women Who Care of Homer, we would love to have you join us. You can download our pledge form 
on our Facebook page, 100 Women Who, Who Care Homer. Thank you. <laughs>
but Homer Drawdown has connected us to each other in such a way that has, which has really enhanced our social and spiritual wellness as well. We ultimately chose the peatland project because peatlands are an incredible carbon sink, storing twice as much carbon as the world's forests combined. And we have so many peatlands right in our backyard. So we designed and led a citizen science surveying protocol where we took peat depth measurements and made botanical observations, giving people real boots on the ground experience in peatlands and raising awareness and appreciation for these important landscapes. And the data will be used for the research reserve in their ongoing carbon mapping project. Our conservation working group fundraised for peatland stewardship efforts by the Kachemak Heritage Land Trust and focused our advocacy efforts on peatlands within the Beluga wetlands complex right in the middle of town. And through strategic mobilization moments, we were able to successfully advocate for the removal of eight peatland parcels from a borough land sale, as well as the removal of a proposed airport fence maintenance road, which would have disrupted 20 acres of peatlands. Volunteers in collaboration with Center for Alaskan Coastal Studies hosted a teen peatland camp in which teens were able to explore and survey peatlands during a three-day backpacking trip. Pictured here is a moment from the artist talk during our end of season showcase and celebration event. This was the opening of the Art for Peat exhibit that was organized by Benel and hosted at the Pratt. The exhibit featured artwork from local artists inspired by peatlands, as well as work from Cheryl Marie Riley, who was the artist in residence at Benel during the time and she partnered with the peatland project. So both this celebration event and the local peatland community surveys were the only work that happened in person this year. So you can get involved with both the peatland project and the next version of Homer Drawdown by going to homerdrawdown.info and scrolling down to the get involved form. Uh, if you contact me directly, I can plug you in in a way that excites you most and um, we'll keep you in tune of ways to join in. So thank you. Hi, I'm George Overpeck. I'm part of Friends of the Homer Skate Park. And our goal is for the Homer Skate Park to be maintained, improved, and keep users happy, be the best that it can possibly be. Our users are skateboarders, quad skaters, scooter riders, and BMX riders. Here we are doing some uh, cleanup at the skate park. Having a great skate park is good for the emotional, physical, and social needs of the community. It's uncoached free play, it's outdoors, and it's got real risks and real rewards. Here we are doing some work on one of the ramps. We notice that they would ride a little bit better if we put these transition plates down at the bottom that make it a little bit smoother getting between the, the pavement and the ramp. We reached our goal this fall of having two half pipes placed at the park after reaching an agreement with the city and partnering with the Homer Foundation as a fiscal sponsor. Council member Adderhold and Matt Steffi at Parks and Rec deserve a lot of thanks for shepherding us through the system, as well as a lot of other city staff. My hope is that there are about 100 kids around Homer who can get dropped off at the skate park and just have fun there all day, make it their own space, and uh, that can happen about seven months a year. Here's our little half pipe. We're so proud of what we did here. They, they're very handsome ramps. We used some social media and we met as a group with the city to explore what the possibilities for the project would be. 
we hammered out an agreement on how to do it. And we raised our money through word of mouth, door knocking and online. We met our fundraising goals for these ramps in under a month. And we were so happy about how Homer responded to our requests. We're looking at now at what a second stage can be for our efforts. The skate park is kind of wrapped up with the Herc building. So uh, what the second stage will be kind of depends on where the Herc building goes. But if you want to be involved in the project, contact us on our Facebook page, Friends of the Homer Skate Park. And if you want to join up, bring some vision and a lot of patience. Nothing is going to happen fast, but we can make things better for riders and Homer. COVID didn't really have a silver lining for our project, but we're really proud that we're going to have good riding for the new variants. Uh, and really our best case scenario around COVID is that we can be a silver lining during the time of COVID. Here's some future riders out there playing on the, the one week where it was available and didn't have snow on it. Yeah, aren't those a couple of good looking ramps up there? I mean, any kid who's driving by is gonna look up there and say, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what we're after, excitement. Theater is, as you know, a community collaborative uh, event. And so something like the coronavirus is extremely difficult for the theater. In uh, March of 2020, we had a, made a decision to close our theater for at least a year and to experiment with new ways of making theater. In Early 2020, we began a partnership with uh, the Pratt Museum. We were invited by Homer Council on the Arts to participate in Mary Epperson Day. We crafted a show, which was a walk through the woods of um, about 15 acts, I think. There were poems and songs and dances. That led to a fall collaboration with the Pratt, where we created a haunted Shakespeare walk through the woods pieced together little bits of Shakespeare scenes. In the spring of 21, we launched a project for full-length productions in the woods, um, Pride and Prejudice and Always Patsy Klein. So here's a group of people who are bringing an extremely heavy uh, stage into the woods. It was quite difficult to get everything in there. Um, and here's Chase Warren of the Pratt Museum helping us put the stage together. We had to run electricity to the stage, which was um, you know, just a long extension cord through the woods and these lovely uh, solar lights that we have here, uh, but, uh, and two generators. So we were able to have a band and an audience of about 100. A couple weeks later, we went to the Bear Creek Winery and did a production of uh, the Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged. It was a really fun production with just three performers. Uh, and that was a really incredible space to be in as well, a beautiful garden and um, outdoor space. Then we came back to the Pratt for Pride and Prejudice. Um, it was September, we are starting to get a little colder. This is a little... Uh, Sample of our backstage setting. Everyone was uh, quite happy to be out of doors um, and just a little bit different scene than we're used to backstage at the Spit Theater. Um, and people's apprehensions about the virus were rising again because of the um, increased numbers. So we limited our audience size to 50 and put on our masks again. 
while we love our spit theater and we love our building, we are not a building. We're a community. People will come together in whatever place that they can uh, to make theater and to have that community. So uh, I think that was, it was freeing in a way. It sort of shook us out of our patterns and our, um, our habits and brought us into a new, a new realm to think creatively. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jacqueline Rainwater. I'm the new facilitator of the All Things Addiction Coalition on the Southern Kenai Peninsula, formerly known as the Opioid Task Force. Our coalition is made up of a variety of members, including family members of those struggling with addiction, people who are in recovery, those in active addiction, and a lot of local agencies. Some of these agencies include the hospital, the center, SVT, Homer Medical, and Megan's Place. Our goal and vision is to see our community free of opioid and substance misuse. We had our strategic planning session for 2022 to help us aim our focuses. We're dedicated to building a recovery ready community. And a few ways that we plan to do that is by navigating the systems of care and making the process easier for the individual to receive services. We also are going to be looking at the youth and family unit and how to meet those needs. And also we're going to be holding regular coffee connections and quarterly meetings with speakers to help promote that message that recovery is possible and to get our community involved. Um, I believe that our coalition touches on all of the eight dimensions of wellness, but the two that are highlighted to me the most are the spiritual and the social aspects. Um, finding that sense of purpose, finding that sense of belonging, and building those connections with people within your community helps um, bring long-term recovery and that's what we desire for people some of the silver linings from the pandemic have been zoom and telehealth services have been more uh, easily available for people for meetings and also for medical appointments through zoom we've been able to have a better statewide collaboration with other coalitions and task force and also with the state of alaska for better communication and even though the pandemic happened, we've still been able to meet needs for people in our community through medication assisted treatment, through the exchange program now called Megan's Place, and by encouraging 12 step uh, meetings for people locally. To help meet our goals, we hold monthly meetings and we also have quarterly meetings. And if you would like to be informed on what the coalition is doing, we have a website, a Facebook page, and an email list. The website is allthingsaddiction.net. The Facebook page is under All Things Addiction. And the email is skpopioidtaskforce at gmail.com. If you would like to connect with me through Zoom, through email, or in person, I would love to do that. Thank you so much. My name is Bob Shavelson. I moved to Homer in 1995. And I love this place because uh, there's so many wonderful people and groups that we can connect with. And uh, one of the great people that I, I came to know and love was uh, Gary Thomas. And I don't think I'm alone. A lot of people uh, loved Gary and he was a real fixture in our community. And when he tragically died in January 2020, uh, I was a member of the Ketchmack Bay Rotary Club and Gary was very active there. And we looked around and said, what can we do to carry on Gary's legacy? 
And we looked at this great project that was already up and running, the 100 Women Who Care project. And we thought, why not do a Gary Thomas 100 Men project? Everybody writes a $100 check uh, each quarter, and we vote on an organization or a cause that will receive that money. So four times a year, an organization or a cause will get $10,000. And it overlaps with uh, the MAP program very well because there's certainly a social element where connecting people uh, to this place. There's a spiritual element where you give people that sense of, of purpose and, and belonging. And then the, the emotional component, you know, that personal enrichment you get by giving back to the, the, a place that you love and the people that you live among. Okay, so, you know, when you break it down, you, you know, Gary stood for getting involved and giving back. and if enough people emulate that, we think Homer will be a big, better place to live, work, and play. Gary obviously was a fixture in the community, and, and uh, you know, from firefighting uh, to KBBI to Homer News, uh, uh, Homer Rotary Health Fair, emceeing for countless organizations, he was everywhere. Uh, the first organization that we chose to give to was a new group called the South Peninsula Firefighters Association, and this group is putting the money to training volunteer firefighters and, and this was a cause that was near and dear to gary's heart and so uh folks will get trained for example in cold water rescue that was one of the things that they singled out there the next group that we devoted funds to was the eveline trail upgrades from the catchback nordic ski club to make them handicap accessible it's a great trail system out east road and we want to make sure that everyone can access it and uh that's what those monies are going towards and finally, we directed money to the Center for Alaska Coastal Studies, and they've got wonderful facilities on the hill at the Wind Nature Center and across the bay, and literally thousands of kids get through this program every year, and that connects them to our marine environment and gives them a better understanding of the natural world. So that's just a brief overview of where we've been. We're, we're really at the beginning. We're really trying to build our numbers here. And to get more people involved, we'd ask you to email 100manhomer at gmail.com. You can call or text 299-3277, or you can find us on Facebook at Homer 100 Men. It's really easy for us to give back if we just do a couple simple things, and it makes Homer a better place. Those are updates on community activities performed by a number of MAP-associated organizations. We have links to all the presenters heard here today posted online with this show at kbbi.org. Thanks for joining us for the coffee table. Next week, join us as we talk about emergency preparedness. With the potential for earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions ever present, we'll talk with experts about how to prepare for the worse. I'm Jay Barrett. You're listening to Public Radio, KBBI, AM 890, Homer.